honestly. Um, there's just so many places that um, you can see the deterioration of society, the, the failure of uh, government, e- even, and this is the part that breaks my heart, that there's places where I can just see the failure of the local church to be what the church is intended to be, to do what the church should be doing, should have done all along. And uh, so by way of... Um, starting our series, uh, and I'd ask my son, who's a journalist and uh, who lives on the news channel, literally, round the clock, to help me just load up some stuff and uh, just show you, these are current events. Um, These are all very current news sources. I don't think anything we did dates back beyond June. Um, So June, July, and August, um, I think the, the earliest one, maybe even late June, but there were some several times in recent uh, days where ISIS has beheaded different people. Um, th- this uh, story here, the Islamist decapitates boss and tries to blow up a factory in, in London. Um, and uh, he literally uh, went in and, and decapitated several people and put their heads on the poles of the fence of the store. Um, that's just bizarre to me. But, um, but he was just on a rampage. And then there was another story um, that ISIS beheading is an ominous sign in struggling Egypt. I'd like to say it's an ominous sign in struggling anywhere, okay? When, when a group of people believe they are going to literally, ISIS believes they, they are going to bring the, about the end of the world just by murdering people in this brutal way that they do it. And, uh, they think they just need to take out as few infidels as they can, as many infidels as they can. And uh, so they're, they're literally trying to harm people uh, by doing that. And, and they, they don't think they're going to win any war, by the way. they they pretty sure they're going to eventually be defeated. Um, but they think they're going to bring about world-ending events, um, apocalyptic events. And that's part of their deal. So they're not afraid of anything, and they're just challenging on. Uh, recently, this last week, our Secretary of State said that if we do not follow the Iran... Um, policies that our current administration is promoting, and by the way, our congressmen on the um, the Christian congressmen are resisting like crazy because it's so anti-Israel. But he was saying, if um, he's implying the collapse of the U.S. economy if we don't go with the Iran deal that they've been trying to make with the UN and President Obama and all that, if that deal doesn't go through, he literally said in a statement this week, the U.S. economy is going to collapse. Now. That's a, it's a very background story deal. This, this hardly ever hit the news. You may not have even seen it. It was very limited in its report. But the problem with this is this is one of the most powerful guys in Washington making a statement that's almost a threat to anybody that says we should not give Iran this deal um, because then Iran's going to have nukes and then their nukes are going to be used to destroy Israel or attack Israel. And then Israel, uh, then we're going to either have to defend Israel, get on the wrong side of that, or defend Israel one or the other, and we're going to be in a a nuclear world-ending event. And uh, here's our Secretary of State just this last week saying, whatever we do, we got to keep this plan with Iran, which is to give them the power to get nuclear weapons. So that's world-ending. And then he's saying, if we don't do it, the U.S. dollar is going to collapse, which, by the way, a lot of the currencies around the world, everybody's stored up U.S. dollars, and that's going to bring about insane hyperinflation, which is part of what we were talking about and some of our other stuff. I gave this article out uh, the night we showed the videos, but eight financial experts are warning that a great financial crisis is imminent. Most of them believe it's in the next couple of months, that there'll be a huge financial crisis 
worldwide focused around the U.S. as well, but a worldwide financial crisis. That's why we were trying to tell some of you it wouldn't be a bad idea to store up a little extra food, um, have some supplies on hand as if a big storm is coming, because we believe, our eldership here believes there's an economic storm that's coming. And by the way, this is one of probably, I'll tell you how many articles are out there about the economic collapse. If you go to Google and type in the word economic, the very first thing that shows up under it, you know, always comes up with suggestions that you might, maybe you're thinking this when you type it in. The very first one is economic collapse, okay? So everybody's Googling that, and there's thousands of articles. Some of them are from kooks. I mean, they're just crazy people that, you know, are just predicting all kinds of world-ending things, and they're trying to predict when Jesus is coming back, and the Great Tribulation, and all this kind of, you know, the rapture and all that's tied into somehow numerically and all that. Some of them are just people watching the house of cards that financially has been built by a country that has way too much debt and uh, very little substance and our um, all of our... Um, uh, we've got more people on um, government support than we have people paying into the tax system. That can't last forever. If you've got more people... Uh, using up the taxes than paying in the taxes, that will not last. And they're just tracking all these cycles. And uh, these experts, by the way, are not related to any of the stuff that we showed some videos the other night where a guy was talking about the, the Jewish cycle of the Shemitah, something you should study, by the way. If you don't know that term, it's an uh, interesting study. And I can give you some, some direction on that. But we've been watching these videos about the Shemitah and this, this seven-year cycle that's coming into our economic system this coming fall. And uh, it doesn't look good for us. The last two major stock market crashes that were just devastating to our country happened seven years ago and then seven years prior to that. And so this is the next one, and it's actually the seventh Shemitah in a series of seven. So a lot of people are saying it's going to be really bad. Now, those people are looking at biblical cycles and Jewish calendars and how God expects the land to, to heal itself and you should give everything a year off and you know the, the, have a Sabbath rest for your income and your debts and all that stuff. Those people are looking at that, right? But these people are not looking at any of that. They don't care anything about the Jewish calendar. They're just watching the economy and watching how uh, funds are being spent all around the world and what countries are in trouble. And by the way, Greece is a prelude to all that. You've seen Greece collapse. And so we've talked about some of that in, the, in those meetings, but but it's all really, really good news. Um, then it gets better. Um, federally funded... Uh, Plan federally funded Planned Parenthood, federally funded Planned Parenthood. Uh, we've been seeing these videos. By the way, there's four now, maybe five out. I think they came out with a fifth one. Um, this, this headline was just when the second one came out. Um, shows alleged, there's no alleging to it when you watch the videos. Planned Parenthood selling living parts of children. That's interesting to me. They don't consider them to be life. And yet you can sell them on the market as life. That blows my ever-loving mind, by the way. And I'm telling you, our country's in trouble just because we are in, we're, we're paying for that. Um, God cannot, cannot look away from us in judgment if we are allowing that to stand. And uh, if you can write your congressman, if you can write your senator, if you can write your local mayor, I don't care who you write, you need to write somebody about all this and uh, just just start attacking our our local officials and our uh, our congressmen and our senators and saying whatever we do we got a deep we don't want our tax dollars paying for any of that 
paying for any of that, right? So that's good news from this last week. Then there's this cake baker um, in Colorado. He's a Christian, and uh, he says he, he'll serve homosexuals in his store anytime. He'll feed them food and you know, give them stuff out of there. But he's not going to bake a cake particularly for a homosexual wedding. He says just, it's against his faith values to do that. And uh, so he appeals to the local courts, and the courts say, they literally tell him, you cannot use your faith in Christ as a reason not to bake the cake. You, and actually, what they told him is, you, you cannot use your faith as an appeal in our court system. Don't even tell us in the court what your faith is. And literally, it's like they're shutting down his First Amendment rights to speak his own value system in public. In the court system, they're not even allowing him to say that. That just happened this last week, by the way. Um, so th- that's not going to go well for us as Christians one day. I'm just telling you, if that eventually becomes a systematic, you know, if that if the courts all the way up begin ruling that kind of stuff, you will not be allowed to say, I just don't believe in that. So, you know, my faith says I can't do that. They're going, well, you can't use your faith. No, don't ever use your faith to say anything that you can't do. You have to do everything. So it's a very, very dangerous deal. And then, of course, just a few months ago, Probably the oldest story on our news. You remember the young man that went to the church in Charleston and uh, literally martyred nine people. He literally went in there and sat through a part of a Bible study and then he pulled out a weapon and he murdered nine people inside a church building. Um, Most people believe it was racially charged. And here's the sad part of this story to me. Um, This was one of the most beautiful things that's happened in the Christian world in a long time, this church and that community, it was in the South, by the way, that community responded exactly like Christ wants them to. The church actually forgave him at a hearing just a few days later. They forgave the young man. The people whose families had been murdered told him in a public statement, we forgive you. The local churches, we have some friends that live in Charleston, they said the day after... The Sunday after this shooting, a lot of the local churches literally walked to this church and stood outside of it during their church service. They just walked from their church to that church and stood outside of it to say, hey, we support you. Black and white churches all around the city stood with these church, with those church people and said, we are so sorry for all that. Those were churches, Christian godly men and women pulling together saying, this is a tragedy. And this young man should never have done what he did. And it was sinful, wrong. It was actually evil for him to go to a Bible study with the intent of murdering people. That's evil, right? The church responded perfectly. But you know what the news and the journalists and the liberals in our culture did? They turned it into a whole deal about the South Carolina flag. They said, you know what? It's all about that dumb flag out in front of the courthouse. We just get rid of that flag. We wouldn't have this problem. That's not true, by the way. The flag did not make that guy go do that. The evil in his heart made him do that. And the evil didn't come from a flag. You know, it came from the evil one. It came from sin being in his heart. And so, no matter how you look at all this, you know, and I know you're probably just sitting there going, man, thank you so much, Pastor Stan. I came to church today to be lifted up. You've really done a great job of building me up in the faith today. Wow, this is awesome. I love, love being in our church. Okay? And I'm... I really apologize for that downer uh, truth, but I wanted you to see, when you look at all that news, it is, it is. hey, we just need to build a bunker 
a really deep bunker and I'll go climb in it and uh, you know pray for the rapture. I mean, who wants to walk around in a society that's getting worse and worse like that, right? It's bad. And by the way, there's a lot worse stories out there. We just, Josh and I just sat down and collected up just a handful of them. Uh, I promise not for every one of our Not Afraid series, I'm not going to bring those illustrations to you. So won't won't be, you know, just making you miserable every Sunday. But I needed you to see why I want you to see this series. There are people who live in absolute fear of end times, of collapse, of financial collapse. Several, several people after we started talking about that through our church system three or four years ago were coming to me and said, I just can't, I just can't think about this. I, I, I don't want to think about it because it just makes me scared. And I don't want to, you know, I don't know what to do. And they had this sort of a panicky mode. Well, you can get that way about anything. You know, I mean, you can get that way about a, you know, something physical. If you have an ache or a pain, you're like, oh, is that, is it cancer? I mean, what's going to happen to me? And, you know, I had a friend who had a backache like that and it turned into be, you know, spinal cancer. And oh, you just kind of can worry yourself and panic yourself into these fearful places that honestly, I want to tell you as, a, as Christ followers, God never intends us to walk into those deep places. We just don't have to go there. We, we have a way to be different than that. And uh, so today, my desire is to give you sort of a biblical prescription for facing an uncertain future. There's not one person in here that can predict tomorrow or even this afternoon for yourself. I mean, you can write down your plans and have them, but you have no idea what you're going to face this afternoon. Nobody here knows exactly what you're going to face today. So, so everybody here has what's called an uncertain future. Now, we have plans and hopes and dreams, and you want to play your percentage odds. You know, every time you leave church and you go home and eat a good meal and, you know, take your Sunday afternoon nap or do whatever your projects around the house are, you know, you wake up and go to work on Monday. The odds are pretty high you're going to get to do that tomorrow. But they're not 100%. Nobody here has a certain, certain future planned. And so even the uncertainty of that can cause us to have fears in our life. And what I want to do is give you this prescription for facing those uncertain fears. Over the next few weeks, I want to take you to some beautiful psalms. Man, I just this week I was literally shouting in my office about how beautiful some of the psalms are in regard to this. Um, but I want to tell you, first of all, this, this is not a series about um, this uh, concept that was in our culture called not afraid. Okay, so um, you might want to just make, it, make this real clear. Um, when I say not afraid, I'm not talking about this guy. This is, this is a logo. I had to figure out where all this came from because I see it on the back of trucks all the time. Good old boy pickup trucks all over our city have this. Justin doesn't have one on his truck. No, he doesn't. Okay, I've got to scrape it off one. But, but it's, it's, it, was a, it was just a logo. Somebody came up with sell T-shirts, and eventually it became an energy drink, and I think a NASCAR, one of the NASCAR guys picked it up. Um, but it's an interesting concept, and what, what it turned into be was an extreme sport deal. People that do extreme sports would go, hey, I'm not afraid to do that. I'll try that. And so they would just do extreme sports, okay? Now, here's the problem with that, okay? Just a couple of minutes, about one minute of this will do it for you. All right, those are guys that go, yeah, no fear, watch this, ah, okay? And then they're in the hospital having their arms and legs so back on, and Sarah's having to do therapy rehab on them, okay? Uh, because they've decided they're not afraid of anything, right? God did not wire us to be that no fear, right? Now, there are people who are real good at extreme sports, and I just put one up, but it's a very short clip. You need to look up the whole long clip of this. Caleb and I watched it a while back. This is a guy that makes a triple somersault 
It's the, the highest jump ever on a motorcycle. So and there's a difference in the, in the two clips I showed you. This guy is a professional who's trained and trained and trained. He's got equipment there. He's got an ambulance and probably a hearse at the foot of this other hill, okay? Because <laughs> there's only a couple of ways you're going to make that triple jump, right? <laughs> you're, there's only a couple of solution, couple of endings that can happen at that deal. But here, here's the thing. They, they were, he trained and he's worked and worked and worked at it. Some of those guys on the skateboards, there's no padding. You know, there's no thought <laughs> that went into, hey, I'm going to just go off this ramp and down this. Some of them are off house roofs, which cracked me up. I'm just going to go down this roof and jump onto the other roof, and then we'll see what happens. Well, hey, there was a motorcycle coming. <laughs> Who knew, right? So they're not thinking, and God did not design our brains to not be afraid to have no fear. He designed our brains to protect us from stupid stuff, right? And so... And my little brother's not here. My little six foot brother, six foot four brother's not here. But we used to build these. He used to build these bike ramps. Remember when we used to build bike ramps as kids? And uh, it was a, basically a big piece of wood propped up on the highest bunch of rocks and blocks you could find. And then the idea was just to go off of them, right? Just take your bike and let's see who can go the fastest and the highest. We never thought about the landing. We sure never pictured the mailboxes on the other side of those ramps and that kind of stuff off the end of our driveways. So, I mean, we just, you know, scraped up. I still have scars all over my elbows from landing in gravel and rocks and all kinds of stuff from those. But it was because we were trying something that God was actually warning us, bad idea, and we weren't listening. And that's when, when God gives us a, a sense of fear that we need to protect ourselves and we need to be wise, that's one thing, Right? The other thing is that there are times when God wants us to step out on faith and live unafraid of the future, of what He's called us to do. Some, some of the youth yesterday when they were out sharing uh, about the afternoon events and trying to just tell people about their church in Jesus had to live a not afraid moment. Now it's natural to be afraid to talk to somebody about that, especially a stranger in the park. But in reality, they have to live... If we're going to obey God, we have to live with a not afraid moment. And I want to show you some verses about that. I want you to begin with me. I want to begin with an angelic proclamation that came to some of the most common people on the earth. I, I consider our church, by the way, very simple, common folk. We are very basic people, uh, not a big fancy white collar church. We're, you know, we're not making a big splash in, in the financial world here. Um, matter of fact, that people ask me what kind of church, uh, what are your church folks like? And I said, um, we're pretty much like blue collar, no collar, um, just ordinary, regular, normal, and then I use this word, sorry, weird people, okay? That's our church. I mean, look around, come on. We are just a weird bunch of folks, right? We're, we're normal, and uh, we are stri striving to serve the Lord. Well, there's an angelic proclamation that comes to some of the lowliest people in the culture at the time in Luke chapter 2 and starting in verse 8 your handout has some of this scripture but I put all of it on the screens for you I think it says that night some shepherds were in the field nearby watching their sheep that's some of the poorest people in the country by the way but they're in the fields watching their sheep uh, near the town of Bethlehem and an angel of the Lord stood before them the glory of the Lord was shining around them and they became very frightened no kidding an angel stood right next to them and the glory of the Lord was shining off of that angel and it freaked them out. No kidding, that would freak me out. But the angel said, 
Do not be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. This is how you'll know Him. You'll find the baby wrapped in a piece of cloth and lying in a feeding box in a manger. The, then a very large group of angels. Now here comes the rest of the group. A large group of angels from heaven joined the first angel, praising God and saying, Give glory to God in the heavens, and on earth let there be peace among the people who please God. So the angel says, Don't be afraid because I'm bringing you some good news. I'm bringing you some good news. And he actually says, Good tidings of great joy to how many people? I'm bringing good news of great joy to all the people. Everybody you know, this news is for everybody. Okay, It's not just for a limited group of people. There are people that believe, you know, God only came, Robert and I were talking about this, people that believe in limited atonement, that God only came to save a certain amount of people, so the good news doesn't really apply to them. Well, the Bible says, the angel says, I'm bringing you good news of great joy to all the people. Everybody should know this good news. And we, by the way, we should tell everybody this good news. We, we should tell them the news of Jesus, bringing you good news of great joy to all the people. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A child has been born. He actually says it's your Savior. Your Savior was born. This is the beginning of the end of fear for all time. This is the beginning of the end of fear for all time. When Jesus was born in a manger on earth, it began the process of God saying one day, one day when everybody's collected up in the family and everybody that's going to believe believes, I'm going to end all of this. I'm going to restore it back to how I intended it to be and there will be no more fear, no more sadness, no more sorrow. This is the beginning of the end of all fear. When Jesus was born in that manger, it began the process of Him saying, I'm going to conquer fear for good. For good, he's going to conquer fear. And it was a beautiful, beautiful picture. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the prophet Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. I love this phraseology. A child is born. Unto us a son is given. God gave his son to us, and the child that he gave was born unto us. Child wasn't just born to Mary and Joseph. He was born to us, all of us. It was a gift from God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is how you overcome your fears, by the way. Jesus was born to us. He came to save you personally. Now you can say, well, He came to save the world. Yes, but it also says He came to save you personally. I'm going to show you some verses about that as we uh, move through this series. Jesus came to save you, and He was a gift to you from God. When you start thanking God for gifts, and when you start giving thanks for gifts, one of the greatest gifts you should thank God for is the gift of Jesus, your personal Savior. He's your personal Savior. He's not just grand Savior of all. He's personal to you. Now, some of you have walked with God long enough and you've read enough Scripture and you've, you've interacted with God in worship times and your private worship and your private readings that you get the personal nature of it. Some of you may not have experienced that yet. I promise you, if you will spend time with God, that will happen. The Bible actually says, God says in Jeremiah, if you seek me with all your heart, 
you will find me. It's very personal. You seek me and you will find me. He's not hiding from us. And we can, we can find the personal side of God. He came to help us. The first way to overcome your fear is to acknowledge that God sent you His personal Son, sent you a Savior, a Rescuer. There's a great Old Testament word used several times in the Old Testament that He is the Rescuer of those who He came to help. And uh, that word shows up, He came to rescue. It shows up in Galatians. We did a series in Galatians a couple of years ago. I just want to remind you of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 3. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at, churches, plural, at Galatia, a region, who gave Himself for our sins. Christ, He gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. You know that Jesus came to rescue us from this evil age. Now, when we did this series, some of you will remember this, I had some awesome Coast Guard videos. I love those things. I keep, I, I still have them on file. I look at them all the time. There, I had these awesome Coast Guard videos where people were, their boat had capsized and they're drowning in the ocean. Uh, one was a little boy, a 14-year-old boy who had gotten caught in a riptide and he was swimming and it pulled him out to the deep water. And his partner, his buddy, was able to get back to land, but his friend stayed out there. When the Coast Guard finally got to him, if you remember the video, when the Coast Guard finally got to him, this little boy, this 14-year-old boy, literally went underwater and was gone. Coast Guard's filming, and he's there, and then he's gone. And so the rescue swimmer went in after him and pulled him up, put him in the thing, and they get him on the deal and rescue him. And I kept telling you when we were watching this, this is how God is for us. Our, our help comes from above. We're, I used to say this, we're swimming in an ocean of our sin. It's our own sin, but we swim in an ocean of it, and there is no land, and you just can't swim that long. You can't rescue yourself. When you're in that much trouble, you can't rescue yourself. I thought it was a great analogy. Man, I was so excited about all that. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. Swimming in an ocean of sin, and help comes from above. It comes down and rescues you and, and takes you back to land. That's a good picture. And then Pastor Paul from camp sent me a Facebook message one time and said, you got that all wrong. I went, no, I don't. I've been preaching it for weeks. Don't talk to me like that. I know you're another pastor, but you don't. I know what I'm doing. He goes, no, you got it all wrong. And then he told me, and I went, wow, I got that all wrong. Here's what he said. He goes, dude, we drowned. We were swimming in that ocean from sin for a little while, and then we drowned, and we sank to the bottom then Christ came and rescued us because it says in Ephesians, while we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Oh yeah, we weren't swimming, we were dead. Once we drowned, here's the, what it means to rescue us. Jesus literally comes into the ocean of sin where we live and comes into the down to the very bottom of the sin where we are, pulls us out, and breathes life into us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2, verse 1. While we were dead in our trespasses and sin, it says, He made us alive. He, King James says, He quickened us. He made us alive together with Him. That's, that's the miracle of Christ rescuing us. He didn't rescue you from your efforts. <laughs> you'd, you'd run out of effort. You'd run out of energy. I had to tell Pastor Paul, you know what? I'll just throw those videos away. Okay, you're right. It's a much better picture. 
So don't have any pictures of the Coast Guard going to the bottom of the ocean, getting guys and bringing them up and bringing them back to life. They don't do that because they can't. But God can. He rescues us. That's the beauty of what this is. And so when Christ was born in a manger, this angelic proclamation that came to the very lowliest of the low shepherds, it came to common people like us. The angel said, hey, don't be afraid. I've got some great news. You have a Savior. You personally have a Savior who's your rescuer. He's come to rescue you. So you overcome that fear by acknowledging Christ as your Savior. And we don't have to live in fear because Christ came for us personally to rescue us. I want you to look in Psalm 27. This is a king's song. This is David's song that he writes. And it's the same thought that's echoed by David here. Psalm 27 says these words. I love this verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. You think David understood the personal nature of God? The Lord, God, is my light and my salvation. Watch his next phrase. Whom shall I fear? (laughs) Whom shall I fear? By the way, David had lots of enemies. Lots of enemies. Matter of fact, King Saul, who was the king of the Israeli army, which is one of the most feared armies at the time, King Saul was one of David's enemies. All of the nations that surround Israel... The Philistines, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Termites, the Jebusites, all those ites were after David the whole time. They were. He had lots of enemies. Here's what he says. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If He is my strength, Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, literally an army besiege me. Think about that terminology in David's day. My heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. In what? The Lord is my strength, my light, and my salvation. That's the three things he says. I want you to notice again the personal nature of this with David. My light, my salvation. We were born into sin and darkness. All of us were. But God illuminated our darkness, and He doesn't leave us in the dark. He becomes the light for us. Now, David didn't say the Lord is a light. He didn't say He's a light for all of us. He didn't say, hey, God's a light and salvation. Just don't forget God's, God's salvation. He says, God is mine. My personal light, my personal salvation. And it's a way for him to communicate in this song. Psalms were songs. In this song that it's personal. It's meant to be personal. God personally loves you. And he wants to illuminate all the darkness out of your life. And he wants to bring salvation to your life. He doesn't want to leave you in a place where you're not uh, protected and not safe. God lights our way. He helps us see our sinful behaviors and understand the difference in sin and righteousness. He's our salvation. He's our personal salvation. Acts 4, by the way, says He alone is our salvation. There's only one way. There's no other name under heaven. Acts 4 says there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. No other name. No other name. You can call out any name you want. not going to save you except the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light and our salvation. 
the only name. And then David says, he's my stronghold. The strength for David was found in his relationship with the Lord. He doesn't trust in his chariots. He doesn't trust in armies. He doesn't trust in economics or political systems. Think, 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 think. Our nation's so messed up in all of this, by the way. Our, our nation, the USA, is completely dependent on all that stuff I'm listing. Chariots and armies and our economic strengths and our political systems, that's what we trust in as a nation. And we're in trouble because David's saying that's not where salvation and hope and strength comes from. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? If God is my light and my salvation and my strength, whom should I be afraid of? Nobody. David says nobody or nothing. And you want a good picture of that? When he was just a young, young little man, pizza delivery boy, he literally goes to the front lines of the army. His father, David, David's not even allowed to go to war because he's so young. His brothers are all at war. The Philistine army is camped on one hill. The Israeli army is camped on another hill, and there's a valley in between them. And this giant named Goliath, nine feet tall. My wife's new first grade class has a, a one of her dads is seven feet two inches tall. Um, she has a dad in her classroom that's seven feet two inches tall. And she was just, all, that's all she's talking about all week. You have this dad, man, he's like giant. Goliath is two feet taller than that guy. Nine foot tall. This giant would walk down in the bottom of that valley for 40 days in a row, just shout at Israel and say curse words about God and swear at them and say, just send somebody out to fight me. If you win, we'll surrender to you. If I win, you're going to surrender to us. Those Israeli soldiers are like, ain't no way I'm going to fight that guy. He's nine foot tall, man. He is huge. He's gigantic. And nobody would go down there for 40 days. On day 41, little David's father, Jesse, says, hey, boys are out there fighting hard, <laughs> fighting hard these battles against the Philistines. They need some bread and cheese. So take them some food, take them some grain, take them some cheese, pizza delivery boy. Just, you know, put the pizza thing on your donkey and take it to them. And so here comes the Domino's delivery guy bringing them bread and cheese. When he shows up at the front lines, Goliath comes down the hill and starts swearing at God. And David's like, who is that? What is going on here? He doesn't trust in his military might or his strength. He's not at all worried about any of that. Here's what David does. David says, well, I'll fight him. His brothers make fun of him, and he pushes right past him. He goes, no, I'm serious. I'll fight him. They take him to King Saul's tent, and Saul's going, David, I don't know who you think you are, buddy. You're a little, little tiny fellow. He's going to squash you like a bug. That's not going to go good for you, son. No, and, and then that's when David, in front of King Saul, he says exactly what he's singing in this song. When he says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, my light and my salvation. He's standing in the tent of King Saul and he goes, look, one time I was out watching my father's sheep and a lion came and took one of the sheep. And I've told you this story before. Pastor Stan would go, hey, enjoy that. Please don't come get any more. We can't afford to lose them all, but I'm not about to mess with you. You're a lion. That's not what King David, little David did. No, no, no. Little David went, hey. And he tells Saul, so I went after him and fought him and killed the lion and got my sheep back. And then he says, and then another time I was out 
And David kept sheep in some really dangerous places, by the way. The other time I was out and this bear came out and he took one of my sheep, a bear, came out and took one of my sheep. And David went, oh, no, 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 that's not happening. I went after the bear, killed the bear, and got my sheep back. Well, you can't have him. He's mine. And, da- and then David says this to King Saul. If God, not David, if God would deliver me from the lion and the bear, surely he'll, he'll deliver me from Dumbo down the hill there. How hard could this be? David's trust is not in his strength, is it? It's in God's strength. He trusts in God. And I'm asking you, when you have anxiety, when you have fears, whether they're real or not, there's been a lot of study about people who who have anxiety over things that can never actually happen. We we fear things that are never going to happen, right? But when you have those anxieties and those fears, who are you trusting in? David says, the Lord is the light and the strength of my salvation. Now here's how how that strength works for us. Psalm 46. As you build your relationship with Him, we'll close with this verse. As you build your relationship with Him, you get closer and closer to God. See, David started out as a young man saying, hey, I just trust in God. Man, this is dangerous stuff, but I'm just going to trust in God. Trust in God. Trust in God. I'm trusting in God. I'm following God. He is my light and my salvation. I don't have to be afraid. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. That means He's the place to run and get safety and protection with God. An ever-present help in my trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And here's, here's his scenario in this one, in this song. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The mountains fall into the heart of the sea. That's a serious earthquake when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. David says, though tsunamis hit and though an earthquake come and literally draw all the mountains into the heart of the sea. We don't have to be afraid. God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. He's our ever-present help. So in the midst of worldwide calamity, I mean worldwide calamity, the worst of the worst, here's what David learned. Here's what I'm trying to try to teach over the next few weeks. Just turn to God. Look to God as the source of your strength and your hope and your light and your salvation. That's what David learned to do. And by the way, David fought lots of real battles. He did lots of sword fights and lots of battles on horseback with lots of really bad enemies that were trying to murder him and kill him. And so he knows he knows the fear that you're supposed to have to protect yourself. But he also knows what it means to walk right up to a nine-foot giant that's cursing God and say, buddy, you can't do that today. Not going to happen. Today, he actually tells him, today I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the birds. He tells Goliath that. Imagine, nine foot tall. Today, I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the birds. Why? Because I trust in God, not me. By the way, all I brought was my slingshot. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. That's all I got. You know, you got all that fancy armor and stuff, good for you. By the way, you forgot to put your helmet on. You're done. It's that simple for David. I'm trusting in God. Who are you trusting in? When you look at these world-ending things like we talked about, when you look at the financial futures and you look at the instability of our economy, of our government, you look at the horrible things our government's doing to mock God, 
it is surely going to bring judgment on America. Surely. Unless we as, as Christians stand up in loud voices, and I'm begging you to start praying. We're going to try to um, start some prayer times for our church to just pray for our country. Pray that our country would repent of its sin against God and turn back to honoring God. Let's get God back in prayer in schools and colleges. Let's get Him back spoken of positively by people that run our country. And all of us need to be the voice that helps make that happen. It needs to start at the grassroots where we are. But I'm telling you, we have to stand up and say, no need to be afraid. Even in the worst calamity that can happen, though the mountains fall into the sea, we don't have to be afraid because... God is our personal salvation. He's my refuge and strength. He's a very present help in my time of need. So whatever your time of need is, He's a very present help. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together.